with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. Excuse me, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I loved, I still love, but as a kid I particularly loved uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure that y'all have seen the movies, maybe read the books. The first, or the, depending on how you reckon it, the Second chronologically, the first actual book was called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you don't know much about this story, uh, it is about these children who enter this land called Narnia. And in Narnia, uh, the whole land is ruled by this evil witch. She has turned the whole world into ice. Uh, the, the refrain in the book is, it's always winter, never spring. Father Christmas never comes. The inhabitants of Narnia live in fear. But as the children come into Narnia, something begins to change. Aslan, the great lion, is coming back. He comes to make all things right again. He comes to bring spring to the land, to even turn those who have been turned to stone back into life. As we ourselves look at the world around us, it is not hard for us to tell that things are not the way they should be. Things are simply not the way they should be. We just saw last week that we are adopted as heirs, and as heirs we have hope, but we're left wondering. Okay, we have hope. We have hope in this future glory that is to come. It's something that Paul's going to talk about throughout uh, this section today and even to the end of the chapter. We've been adopted, but we're left with many questions. How are we to live now? How are we to live in hope in light of the sufferings that we endure every day? How can God Allow his children, those who he says, you're mine, I've adopted you. How can he allow them to suffer? Have we not? I think we're not being honest with ourselves if we say we've never asked ourselves that question. We look at the world around us and we say, how are you allowing this to happen? And Paul tells us. He tells us, for Jesus, 
Glory followed suffering. And the same is true for us. We are awaiting something better. We are awaiting this future glory. So as we come to our text today, we want to see three things. First, we're going to consider the hope of future glory. Second, we're going to consider, and the second two can almost be subsets of the first, but the second is the future glory of creation. And then third, our own future glory, the hope of future glory, the future glory of creation, and then our own future glory. To begin to even talk about this, we have to ask the question, what is glory? What does that word even mean? Uh, Because we tend to look at that word and we say, well, glory means to gain renown for myself, to make myself glorious, to build myself up. So we look at the famous individuals of the world. They have world, they have glory, right? Athletes and whoever else. They have high renown. They're known. They must be glorious people, right? But if we go to the Old Testament and we consider Moses, and if you for a moment just picture Moses on the Mount Sinai, and he's sitting there and Jesus passes by, it says that he only saw Jesus' hindquarters, his backside, right? Or excuse me, it says Moses saw God's backside. And it says he experienced the glory of God. That word there, hesed, not hesed, kavod, I think it's kavod, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, I, should, I should prepare if I'm going to bring out my Hebrew. I didn't, I was trying to do it off the top of my head. But the Hebrew word there literally means heavy. The heaviness of God. That is what he experienced. The heaviness of God. Boy, that seems odd, doesn't it? Can you imagine the overbearing weight of being in the presence of the Lord? So much so that after Moses came down the hill, what did the Israelites say? The mountain, what did the Israelites say? Cover your face. We cannot even stand to witness the reflected heaviness of God in you. C.S. Lewis wrote another book called The Weight of Glory. And in that he says it's the desire that we have which no natural happiness can satisfy. Man is created with a desire for glory. We were created as glory bearers, as image bearers. And yet we know the fall came and it marred that image. It distorted that image. And now Lewis goes on in that same book and says, we have a proper longing to be accepted by God like a child seeking the approval of a parent. We have a proper longing to be accepted by God as a child who is at the feet of their parents saying, love me and accept me. Others have said it this way. We have a God-shaped hole in our heart. A hole that only God can fill. How do we receive this glory? We receive it through Christ. 
What do we know about what we've received? Uh, we know through the course of Romans that it's not the same glory in which Adam was, was created. It says, uh, Paul says in Romans 5, that which you have in Christ is far greater than what you had in Adam. In Christ, God is not only creator, but he becomes Abba, Father. He is our Father, as we saw last week. One commentator said it this way, the, few, the present visible can be under, understood only in light of the future invisible. We have to understand what's coming. We can only make sense of the suffering now if we consider what is to come, is in essence what it says here. And Paul begins here by saying, let me, let me step back a second. Last week, the last verse we looked at, at was this, 17. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. And then Paul says, I, there are many passages in Romans that I think people will tend to pull out. I don't know that this is always one of them, but I think this is one of them, to me, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Romans. Listen. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings at this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is ours in Christ, that is coming. Consider with me for a moment suffering how are you suffering today how are those that you know and love suffering today we don't have to go far right I wrote them down I even forgot to write some down I forgot to pray for Nancy Nancy who's, who's struggling with lung cancer and we look at all these who are struggling through cancer and recoveries and broken bones. We know that there are people out there who are worried about jobs and income. We know there are people who are hungry and starving. And we look at the world and we see suffering. So much suffering that it can tend to just weigh on us. And yet Paul says all of that. All of that is not even worth comparing with the glory of, uh, that we receive in Christ. That's how great the glory that we are inheriting is. The suffering is but a drop in the bucket. We weigh our suffering with the glory that is ours in Christ. What does Paul know? Paul, what does he know about suffering? Let me tell you what Paul knows about suffering. 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times he was lashed 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. Okay, was there anybody that Paul was not in danger with? 
He was in danger with everybody except for maybe the, the fellow Christians. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. So he says, on top of everything else, I'm anxious daily because I'm worried about the churches that I'm ministering to. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? excuse to complain didn't he if anybody had excuse to complain Paul did five times you got beaten 39 times with a lash that makes those three spankings we got as a kid every now and again seem like nothing right he was hungry he was thirsty he was shipwrecked but earlier in Paul in in 2 Corinthians Paul says this So we do not lose heart. Though our our outer selves is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, look what he calls it, light momentary affliction. Light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Light momentary affliction who wants to sign up for Paul's idea of light momentary affliction oh I have my hand up I'm sorry I did not mean that it's not even worth comparing he says there is a future glory that is coming for the people of God And it comes not only for God's people, but for for his creation. He shows us this starting in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing. It's very descriptive words here. This Greek word used here for eager longing, it's got this sense to it of the craning of the neck. Have you ever seen a kid or been yourself, you're waiting for someone to show up at the house. Maybe someone's coming to pick you up. You're about to go somewhere fun. So you're sitting there. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? That eager, that craning of the neck, looking back over and over again, he says, that is how creation is acting. Creation desperately is anticipating the revealing of the sons of God. Creation feels the suffering and it longs for something more. Both creation and Christians are suffering from the sense of incompleteness. We know there's something missing. We don't look like the sons of God yet, not in fullness. And creation waits with eager longing, with anticipation, with bated breath. We see in Genesis 3 that the creation was cursed, wasn't it? But then we go forward in scripture and at the triumphal entry, uh, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, you need to tell these people to stop praising and worshiping you. And what does he say? I tell you, if these are silent, what? The very rocks will cry out. Because creation was longing for Jesus. We need a savior who's going to redeem us. Creation is subject to death It's subject to decay. We're taught this in school, how finite we are. 
Sons eventually burn out. The seasons reflect this. Yeah, we're hitting summer and we've had spring and everything's in bloom and it's beautiful. And But winter's coming, isn't it? Winter's coming and it will destroy things and it shows us death. It shows us the decay of life. But for those who are in Christ, says spring has begun. Spring has begun for us. No, we're not what God intends us to be, not yet. But there will be something different. Isaiah, Isaiah 11 paints a picture for us. What will creation look like in its proper place? And the prophet Isaiah says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. There's this beautiful picture of everything which should not be together. I don't look at Josiah and say, hey, Hey, Jojo, there's an adder's den. Why don't you go stick your hand in it? Because that's not smart. No, we say, don't go near the adder's den. But Isaiah is saying that's not the way it will be. All of creation will be transformed from what it is now. And it will live in peace with one another. And the anticipation, I love, Paul uses such descriptive language. The anticipation word here he uses now is it's longing with birth pains. God has subjected it because of, to, to decay because of man's sin. But it's groaning together in pains of childbirth. Women know this more than most, right? Like more than everybody else who's not a woman. (laughs) More than men, I guess I should say. If you've had a child, you know this is like as the birth pains start, it is not pleasant, so I'm told. It It hurts a lot. But what does the beginning of birth pains represent? Your pregnancy will soon be over. The child is coming. And when the child is out, as my wife describes it as the greatest relief in all the world, it's over. And the, but the pangs signify the beginning. Before the relief comes pain. And it says creation is longing now as with birth pains. Until now. Creation understands that in Christ something has changed. Even at the crucifixion, we see 
the creation responding. There's no sun in the sky. There's an earthquake. Because creation knows its ultimate end is not annihilation. It's transformation. To be something different than it is. It awaits for it just as we do for our own future glory. Creation groans. John 16 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. We, like creation, are enduring these same pains. We groan with creation But we have been given what Paul here calls the first fruits of the Spirit. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains until childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Last week, we saw that we are adopted, right? And this week, Paul is saying we are awaiting our adoption. Does this mean that Paul is contradicting what he's previously said? No. We are adopted. But we are also being adopted. There is a time coming where he will declare for all the world what is true. You, you, you think about a, a, a public adoption is us going before the world, the world knowing that this is now my child and this is coming. It will be done for all to see. We have not received it yet in this fullness. We still live in this world. We have not completely severed our tides with the old age. But who is Paul talking about here? It's not that he's just talking about all mankind. No, he's talking about someone specific. Those who have re- received the first fruits of the Spirit. This is not to be confused with the fruits of the Spirit. Those are something different. They're not the same here. He's saying you have received the first fruits that are the Spirit, which is the Spirit of God. This is a down payment, as it were. This is... we as you know, are buying a house. And we had to do something here recently. We had to give something that's called earnest money, right? Earnest money saying, you really intend to do this. You want to buy this house. And so you're going to give us earnest money, proving that you intend to buy this house. Now, this is all analogies break down at some point, right? But it's a similar thing here. He has given us his spirit and his spirit proves that he is coming again in glory. He has given us this down payment of the kingdom of the promise that would come. It's the proof that he'll come again. Signs that the birth has has started. We are already adopted. 
but he is also adopting us when he will declare that we are indeed his sons and daughters. And guess what? The rest of the world at that time will not be able to avoid it. They will look at God, they will be confronted with him, and they will say, you are indeed the true sons and daughters of the God Most High. They will be forced to acknowledge it. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. We are to be something greater than we are. Our physical body now is... It's, Subject to decay and death. It's not as it should be. We grow old. We get sick. I worked in the yard yesterday and you would have thought I ran a marathon. (laughs) My body hurts. But it's not just the physical body. It's the spiritual sin dwelling in us. We're not perfect and sin will be removed completely from us. We will love God perfectly With all our hearts, this dichotomy, James Montgomery Boyce says this, you are, he said it this way, I'm going to use it the way he said it, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. This is true for the Christian at all time. I am saved at the cross in the blood of Jesus Christ. I am being saved as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me, and I will be saved when Christ comes again in glory and glorifies me. This is the state of you at all times. We are split personality, right? We are saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. We hope in this. Edward Mote, the hymn writer, wrote this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. This is what we do. We hope only in Jesus' blood and in his righteousness. We sang a hymn this morning. Now you may look at this hymn, Be Still My Soul, and it's an old hymn and it can be slow. But it's that same message. Be still my soul because I see the suffering. I see the anguish of the world around me. But I have to be reminded the Lord is on my side and so I bear patiently. All this grief and pain. I am to know that God will order and provide everything for me. And so I faithfully remain in him. Our soul is to be stilled in the assurance that Christ is indeed coming again. So I ask you, how are you suffering today? Not if you're suffering. How are you suffering right now? And if you sit there and go, oh, I'm doing all right. You're lying. You are right now suffering. Something is weighing on your soul. Be it physical, be it spiritual. You are suffering today, even if it's the hurt of watching those around you suffer. We are all suffering. Loved ones are sick. We're we're uncertain about jobs. We have strained relationships with family. And the weight of all of it seeks to crush us. And Paul says to us, take hope. 
take hope for all of that is not even worth comparing to what is yours in Christ. Rest in his hope, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Just rest in him. One of my favorite hymns to sing, and I think it was our previous hymn of the month, it was the hymn, the only hymn we sang at our wedding is Jesus, I my cross have taken. And verse four has these words, man may trouble and distress me. Man may trouble and distress me. Twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me. Heaven will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me. While thy love is left to me, oh, twere not in joy to charm me, were that joy unmixed with thee. We hurt. Man will seek to trouble and distress us. Life with trials hard will press you. But we take hope in Jesus. There's hope for all of us. Even though we may now suffer, we are to longingly look to the return of Jesus Christ, knowing that it's not only we that suffer, but all creation suffers. Everything is not as it should be. Death and decay is all around us, but Christ is coming. Christ makes all things right. So wait with patience. Wait with patience, hope in what you do not see. But hope, knowing that your hope is not futile. Look to the spirit who is working in your life, who resides in you, who has made you sons and daughters. But wait like a child who eagerly is waiting for whoever it is to come. Grandpa, grandma, friend, it doesn't matter. Do you constantly, are you craning your neck? I love that description. Oh God, where are you? Come now, come please. Are you waiting with eager anticipation? Come now, know the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Know the freedom that is in him. Know that he is, he is freeing us from death and decay. There is nothing that you have suffered that Christ himself did not suffer. 10,000 billion times more, plus infinity. <laughs> he can identify in your suffering. But thanks be to God that we get to identify in his glory. Let's pray.